0: Hey, morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? We are starting a news series this morning, a short series, a two-part series, um, based on Matthew chapter 6, and specifically the first half of Matthew chapter 6 called Lessons from the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 being part of Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. Um, incidentally, the second half of chapter 6 I spoke about on a couple months ago, so if you want to get the whole picture of chapter 6, you could do that. Um, but to start, I want to tell a story from back in my high school days some great days. Uh, so I played basketball in high school my whole life. Um, I love basketball, you know, growing up it was my favorite sport. And so senior year of high school is on varsity basketball. And I don't know if any, anyone else had something like this, but our school we had these assemblies throughout the year where they introduced the teams. And what we did for basketball is if you were on varsity basketball when they announced your name at this assembly in the gym, you, we had a ball, we were at half court, you got to run up and make a layup in front of the whole school. Um, So kind of cool, neat little tradition. Um, And I went to a large high school, about 4,000 people, but I wasn't nervous. Um, You know, I'd made many thousands of layups in my life, probably missed 1,000 too, uh, but played in in big games, made these big shots. So for me, it was just like, whatever, Um, let's just get through this and go back to class. And so we're standing there at half court waiting for our names to be called to run up and make this layup. And I'm looking out at the, the crowd, the whole school is there, and all of a sudden I see her. Right in the front row, my crush. And suddenly, um, everything I knew about basketball left my mind. It's like, what is this orange thing in my hands? Um, I became very nervous because this is high school. Stakes are high. She could have been the one, right? She'd be, she'd be telling our kids one day when he made that wide-open layup in the gym. knew there was something special about him. But if I missed it, I would be single forever. So I became super, super nervous. All of a sudden, and this is varsity basketball. No one is missing their layups. No one is missing them. In fact, they're all doing these cute little things like up and unders and going between the legs, all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, (laughs) I just need to get there, set my feet and pop it in, because I cannot miss this shot. And we're going in alphabetical order. My last name starts with an S, so I'm in the back. Probably the last one, uh, maybe second to last or something. I'm just sweating bullets. They call my name, I run up there, and I miss the layup. (laughs) I think I hit the rim, but I may as well have just like chucked it over the back where I was so nervous um, and we didn't get married. So <laughs> it's probably a good thing, but um, it is a good thing, definitely. So why do I tell this story and open you up to this embarrassment? Um, there, is, there is a lesson in this and the lesson is in life, we get to choose our audience. You get to choose who you are seeking your approval from and who you're trying to please. You now we all do this. We have parents, friends, maybe a leader at church, coworkers for me. Um, I chose my audience, and even though there was four thousand eyes looking at me, she was my audience. She was the one I wanted to please and 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 look good in front of. but when we 're doing this, when we 're choosing our audience, we need to be super super careful because who you choose changes how you go about things. Again, think of the story. my motives suddenly became very different. what was first just. A normal everyday layup that I've done thousands of times before suddenly became very important, an opportunity to look impressive, look cool, um, show her that I was great at basketball, I guess, and failed at that, obviously, but it changed how I went about it. Now, in reality, there's not much on the line in high school, right? Embarrassment, whatever. Um, But as we look to live this Christian life, as we look to walk with God, this becomes something very, very important, Right, there's, there's a lot on the line with this. This is something we need to pay attention to. Scripture teaches us that our audience should be God and God alone. We see an example of this. It's, it's all over Scripture, but a good example is in Second Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him, he's our audience, who died for them and was raised again. So, right As you think through the gospel, this truth that Jesus Christ is God, he came to earth, lived a sinless life. We, we we're all sinners. We, we could never do that, but he did, and then he died. We all do, deserve to die for our sin, the Bible says, but he took that penalty for us. He took God's wrath and the death that we deserved, rose again, um, proving he was God. We believe that in light of that, we want to give our lives to Jesus. We accept his offer of forgiveness for our sins and walk in this new life that he enables us to live by his power. And so as we go through this new life in all areas, Jesus, God, is our audience. He is the one we are looking to please above all others. But as I'm sure you know, it is very easy for us to choose a different audience, to want to live this Christian life, to do good things so we can please people around us and look good in front of other people. Maybe we want to look spiritually mature. Maybe you just want to be accepted or think, thought well of. Sure, we want to please God. I think everyone here who is a believer would say, I want to please God. But we want to please other people too, and that can creep in. And I think it's a, a very difficult temptation. Um, I think, you know, just thinking about my own life, it's probably the hardest thing if not one of the hardest things for me you know even as I stand up here I'm I'm thinking about that kind of stuff I know when Victor sends the songs and I'm playing guitar and there's a cool guitar part I think ah yes perfect everyone will know that I'm good at guitar like these I'm serious like I'm not even joking about it I, I like look like oh yes perfect um they're not good desires right they're deceitful desires like we talked about last week but they 're there there's just something about us deep inside where we just light up when people praise us or think well of us. but if we 're not careful and if we act out of these motives there are there's consequences to that. Paul says this in Galatians chapter one, referring to this very thing: Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. see according to that, if our audience is people, anything, anything other than God, we are actually not serving Christ. And that's a severe claim, I think. But really think about it. When you are doing things just to be seen by others, to get their approval, to get their praise, really you are serving yourself, right? You want to get status, recognition, and approval rather than do good things and serve Jesus just because of our love for him, what he's done for us, We want to get something out of it. So pleasing people and pleasing God are two very, very, very different things. Our motives matter. And like I said, the stakes are high. Because if you choose the wrong audience, anyone, anyone but God, we we miss more than just a layup. We actually can miss out on what God has for us. And if you don't address this in your life, that your heart can get into a really bad place. So Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses this in chapter 6. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that Jesus gave, really talking about what life in the kingdom of God looks like. When I say kingdom of God, it's it's where God's rule and reign is happening. It's where people are doing his will. That is the kingdom of God, where his will is being done. And in chapter five, where the sermon starts, just to give some context, Jesus starts by discussing the attitudes and the heart that mark a Christian. There's a lot of pretty famous passages in here. You may have heard of some. The Beatitudes are in there. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? It's painting this picture that in the kingdom of God, in God's way, it's not the cutthroat that get ahead, it's the ones who put other people before themselves. Other famous passages like loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, giving to people who wrong you, Jesus talks about, you know, if you are angry at someone, you've murdered them in your heart, just all these different things that paint this picture of a totally different way of living a radically different way of living, I would say, where we're changed at the deepest, deepest deepest level by the grace of God and, and what he's done in our life. And smack dab right in the middle of those passages in chapter five, we see this, starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then it goes on in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And you think, now, wait a minute, see your good works. Isn't that choosing a wrong audience? Isn't that doing things so people can see? You will know, look at the last part. The motive behind this is that they may give glory to God, to your Father who is in heaven so Jesus, as part of this chapter five, the f- first part of the Sermon on the Mount is painting this picture of the Christian life is all about that. It is living this transformed life deep in our hearts such that we may glorify God in everything we do. And when people happen to see us, we live in a community, people will see us uh, rather than point to ourselves. We can point to God. Yes, he, he is working in my life. He can work in yours too, you know, repent and turn to Christ. But Jesus knew the heart of his crowd. He he knows our hearts as well. And he knows that when we see, let your light shine before others so that others may see you, we tend to fill that in with so that you may look impressive, so that you may be thought well of, so that other people will like you and tune out all that other stuff about glory to God. Or at least we put it a little lower than, than the other part. And if you think about it too, historically, their examples, the people who were hearing this, were the religious leaders of the time. And these people loved to do things in front of others, to be seen by them, to practice their religious activity very, very publicly so that they would get recognition, status in life, attention, and look impressive. So I I suspect that when these people heard this, that's where their minds jumped. These religious leaders, I may be glorified, all that kind of stuff. So to start chapter 6, Jesus gives a warning about this. And in Matthew 6, verse 1, right away he says, beware. Right? There's danger here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Right? Beware of choosing the wrong audience is what that is. Beware of doing things in a godly way so that other people can see you and that you gain their approval. There's consequences, right? No reward from your father who is in heaven. And, and that's two things. There's heavenly reward, right? This treasure in heaven that we talk about actually at the end of matthew chapter 6 that's what that's all about laying laying up treasures in heaven and not on earth but it's also the stuff that we just talked about in matthew chapter 5 it's that changed heart you you lose the opportunity to get that because you're just doing things to be seen you you lose that opportunity to be salt and light to point other people towards god because you're so busy pointing people to yourself It's, it's just a it's a very different heart um, and so to illustrate this more, Jesus gives three examples of what this looks like in everyday life. And he starts with giving. He says this in verse two, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be, may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's kind of a humorous image there. I think you know they're going to give, and they have this trumpet, like look, look at me, right? But that's what they're doing. They're trying to draw attention to themselves. They're making sure no one misses them when they give, when they drop that money, you know, in the in the bucket. Now we don't do this. I don't see anyone with a trumpet today, um, but but we do draw attention to ourselves. We're a little more sophisticated. We have Instagram now and stuff like that. But in our hearts, this is, this is what we're doing when we do that, right? We are drawing attention to ourselves and what good we are doing in the world. I mean, social media is a business because of this, right? The motive matters. We love to just show off, hey, look at me. Look what I did. Remember when I did that? All that kind of stuff. And Jesus uses a very powerful word here to describe what we're actually doing when we do that. It's, it's hypocrites. And in the original language, that word actually refers to actors. And what they would do back then is they would have different masks. And when they had to play different roles, they would just hold up a different mask. If I had to play one role, I'd step over here with this mask. Then I had to do something else. I would step over here and, you know, have a dialogue and stuff like that. So what Jesus is saying here is these people who are, who are giving, they're just playing a part. They're, they're acting, you know, they're, they're wearing a mask. They're acting like they want to bless others. But in reality, in the heart, they just care about themselves, that they may be praised. And you know what? When no one is watching, they don't give. There's no audience there. What's the point? What Jesus is saying in verses three and four is it doesn't matter who sees you. The point is not to be seen. The point is to give and bless others. The audience is God. And God sees everything, right? God's always present. Even when no one is around, God sees us giving. God sees directly into our heart. And the goal is to have a changed heart to be a giving person because God himself is a giver. Now, does that mean when you give, like if you're going to drop something in the bucket, you deploy a smoke grenade or something so no one can see you? No. If no one is around, what this is saying is, when no one is around, you should give just the same as if everyone was literally looking at you because the point is giving. That is the goal. Giving is what pleases God, and he is your audience that you choose. It doesn't matter how many people see you. Now, does this also mean if someone says, you know, praises you, hey, good job giving, you say, hey, shut up, like, no, no, not doing this for praise, like, no, you can graciously accept praise, but the goal is not to get praise, and that is the difference, the goal is to serve God, and please God, and if people see you, that's an opportunity to give him glory, hey, thanks, God is working in my heart, simple as that, now, if you look at the the thing in full, you see the behavior is exactly the same, right, Finances are exchanged in both instances. Someone gets money, someone loses their money, but the motive, the heart, is totally different. This audience is different. And I think if you look at this, there's a very interesting detail that we can't overlook, and it's really important for us understanding this. It's who gets the reward in the passage? They both get a reward. Isn't that interesting? Both people get rewarded in this instance. And again, we say, Jesus, you just said no reward for these these hypocrites, right? Well, no, Jesus says no reward from the Father, but they do receive a reward. In fact, if you look in other translations, that passage right there, they have received the reward, says they have received their reward in full. Um, And and that's why this is so dangerous. There is a reward for being seen by other people. If, If you do go about things trying to, please other people trying to do good because that's what you care about you will be seen people will praise you people will think more highly of you and it's just that intoxicating thing that just seeps down deep into our heart but it's dangerous it's dangerous and I imagine and I think this myself sometimes too like well that sounds like a pretty good reward to me though you know that's pretty nice but I think what we have to remember is that this reward has a cost um, as I said, it says they receive the reward in full. Nothing else is coming for these people who do that. Everything that Jesus said in chapter five, the changed heart, the opportunity to be salt in life, they won't experience that because they have received their reward in full. They got the praise. And in addition to that, as I said as well, the end of Matthew chapter six is all about laying up treasures in heaven. But this reward is temporary. Right? Praise ends. <laughs> eventually people stop praising you because they kind of get to get to expect what you're doing. But God's reward is lasting. It's better. You know, it's it's eternal. It's this treasure in heaven. So where praise is tempting, and I know it's tempting, believe me, in the long run, it's not worth it. Compared to a gift and, and a reward that God can offer, what would you rather choose? I think it's what God can offer. He can offer us things far better than people can. The next illustration God, or Jesus gives and God gives is prayer. And he says this in the next verses, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Basically the same verses. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you, right? It's the same pattern. Now, Jesus, after this goes into more detail on prayer. We're going to skip that this week and do it next week because it deserves its own talk altogether. But at a high level, what Jesus says is the point of praying is not to be seen by others, it's not to be heard by others, but rather it is to connect with God and align ourselves with God's reality. That is the heart of prayer and what's really going on. It's not to draw attention to ourselves. And then Jesus has one more illustration, and we're going to jump over the prayer part and go to the final illustration at the end there about fasting. When you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. It's the same pattern again, right? They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Look at me, look at me. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fasten on your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And again, it's the same pattern over and over again, literally the same verses. And what Jesus is doing here is he's establishing Th- this pattern for us to think through. Why are you actually doing these things? And you can plug anything into this, serving, worshiping, working hard at work, being a good parent, all of this. Why are you actually doing that? Is it to be seen by others? If so, you will receive your reward in full. Or is it to please God, to serve God, as Galatians 1 talks about, Second Corinthians 5 talks about. And the point is, it doesn't matter who sees us walking with God, because God sees And it's more important what God knows than what people think. It's more important what God sees than what other people may think of you. You know, you can really fool a lot of people. You can look great on the outside. A lot of people do. But you can't fool God. The Bible says he cannot be mocked. You can't trick him because he knows our hearts. He knows why we're actually doing things. And if we do things with the right heart, when people do happen to see, because again, they will see you. We're not hiding We get the opportunity to be salt and light. We get to point people towards God and the work he is doing in our lives. Because this is just so different than what the world is like. Again, social media, all these different things about look at me, look at me. As Christians, we're about look at God, look at what he is doing. It's, It's that heart that Jesus describes back in chapter five in the beginning of the sermon. This one that is so transformed at a deep level and seeks to glorify God in all things. But, If we're not careful, if we let this kind of stuff go on too long, we can become like what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 23, a little later. And here he's addressing these hypocrites directly, kind of calls them out. He says this starting in verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious groups who were um, doing these things to be seen by others. Hypocrites, same word, right? You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean inside of the, the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean, right? They're so concerned with looking good on the outside that they miss all the sludge and, and grossness on the inside. They neglect to address the heart. And sure, they're giving, they're serving, they're doing all these things that we praise and, and, and adore in, in the Christian walk, but inside, greed, self-indulgence, all about looking good for them selves. It's not pleasing to God. And as we learned in Matthew 6, has no reward from God. He goes on, gives us another example in 27 and 28. Woe to you, scribes and uh, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Right? It's not pleasing to God. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's a grim illustration, but this is reality. When we are acting out of a desire to just please people, when we are acting out of a desire not to give glory to God, when we are choosing our audience poorly and out of line with what scripture says, this is what in reality is going on. Outwardly look great, same behaviors, serving, giving, all that stuff, but inwardly the heart is totally, totally different and not good. As this verse says, we cannot hide from God. He cannot be mocked. It's a strong warning. No one wants to be a tomb, right? I don't think anyone would say that. So how do you work on this? What can you actually do to make progress in this area? Well, like I said, I have a lot of practice in this. Um, I struggle with this one actively. Um, So this is kind of what I do. This is a process that is helpful for me. And step one of the process is taking time to evaluate my heart. Um, I think this is really important to learn how to do, to really evaluate yourself and tell yourself the truth. It's very easy to be like, yeah, I'm doing fine, but actually get to the heart of why am I doing these things really at the core? Um, It's hard to do that. Our hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 gives us a good illustration of that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's like those deceitful desires again we talked about last week. But... I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, God knows our hearts, and so we can rely on him to help us discern what is actually going on when we're going about these things and trying to walk this Christian life. We need his help to actually get to the bottom of things. God, why am I actually doing this? Will you point out areas where I am stumbling and struggling in this? So first, evaluate your heart. Learn how to do that. It's tough but we got to get get to know the truth about ourselves. And the second part is remind yourself of the truth itself. Why do these things actually matter? Why should we give? Why should we pray? Why should we fast? You know, it's truths like 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ compels us. Matthew 15, 5, we get to be salt and light because we're glorifying God. That's why we are here, right? That's the point of of walking with God at all. Um, Truth like we just read, God sees our hearts, knows our hearts you know, reminding ourselves of why we're actually doing this. It takes a while to do that. It's tough to do that. That's why these scriptures are so important. But we got to remind ourselves, what is the point? What is actually going on? What is the reality going on around me? So we evaluate our hearts. We remind ourselves of the truth. And then we need to confess and repent if we determine that we are looking to please people and not God. This is sin. It It is wrong to do this. We are are commanded to give God glory in everything. So we need to take this seriously and address it and confess it and fall before Jesus's feet, asking him to change us. You know, God, my motives are off. This is not the right way to think. Will you forgive me and help me change? God can do that. God can change our hearts, but we need to admit and confess to him. I think first John one gives a great picture of what this actually looks like. Starting in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, right, if we're not telling ourselves the truth, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can see change. So take time to confess that and repent. Now, I will say, um, this, is, this is a tension to manage. It's not something you're just going to figure out one day. Just wake up, I don't care what people think anymore. Like, that's, I don't think that's going to happen. You're not just going to fix this. This is something to revisit again and again and again, and there'll probably be seasons of life where this bubbles up a little more, maybe seasons when you're doing better, but this is just something we have to continually address before God so that we don't become whitewashed tombs, right, if we let it go too long. Um, But I think the good news is that I have seen in my life, as I've done this, as I've taken the time to evaluate myself, remember the truth, and confess before God, repent of this, and try you know, turn toward him in his ways, he, he has changed my heart. Um, and that's a process that is continuing, but he has done that. And to end, I want to tell you a story of just a very practical way that he's done this. So this is my verse memory story. Um, in junior year of college, I was asked to be part of our student leadership team at the college ministry that we were part of, Christian Challenge, uh, ministry team, MT for short. Um, I had just become a Christian the year before, and I said, yeah, I that would be great. Um, so we met Friday mornings at 8 a.m., on campus. And part of the things that we did there was we would re- uh, review memory verses. Every week, Neil, the director, would give us a verse to memorize. We would memorize it throughout the week, then Friday morning we would come together in a small group and recite our verse. And my small group was Jeremy Walker and James Jolly. Um, so I just become a Christian, and, and for memorizing verses, my heart, my heart wasn't there. Um, I intellectually understood, yes, this is a good idea. Everyone else is doing this. This is great. But in my heart, I just didn't really understand the importance before God of why I should be memorizing verses. But I did know that if I showed up on Friday morning and I could recite a verse, I would get praise. You know, and Jeremy would say, hey, good job, Eric. James, you know, think, wow, Eric is so cool. Um, he knows this verse. I'm very impressed. And, and I wanted them to respect me. I wanted them to think well of me. I wanted them to think I belonged on ministry team. But I was seeking the wrong audience, right? I was doing it for the praise of others. And so what I would do is on Friday morning, I would wake up super early and just cram that verse. I didn't think about it the whole week, but Friday morning I thought about it a lot and I'd be walking to campus, you know, crossing busy streets, just like looking at this verse because I wanted to get it right. And I would hope when I got to ministry team in the morning that James or uh, Jeremy would go first so I could hear it one more time and, and not mess it up. And you know, I have a decent short term memory. The verses aren't that long. Um, so most of the time, I got it, or, or got it pretty close, and guess what? Jeremy said, hey, good job. James thought I was the coolest person ever. Um, I know you were thinking that. I got praised. I got exactly what I wanted. But I received my reward in full. Because I would go home after the meeting, and I would forget the verse. The audience was gone. It didn't matter. And when summer vacation came by and the audience was totally gone and there was no one around, I didn't even memorize verses, I stopped. It's just a light tomb. It's what that verse is talking about. It had no impact on my life. And that was the pattern for a few years. Then uh, my grad year of college did a summer training program and guess what? We memorized verses again. But this time before we started, and maybe we talked about this the other time but I just didn't hear it. The, the person who was teaching us how to do it really focused on why. Why are you doing this? And not like, oh, because I can have a fat stack of verses and how many verses do you know and like spit out the number, but no, why before God do you want to memorize verses? Why is that important? Why does God want us to do this? What is going to be the motive? The audience is different, right? Why does God want you to do that? And I, I came up with two reasons that were very personal to me. One is I wanted to know the truth in my life. And I was more mature at that time and I realized the Bible's real, like it's true. We can rely on this. And I wanted to be able to, in any situation, just know what the the scripture says. And the other reason was I had started to mentor other people, disciple them, try to pass on what I had learned. And I wanted to share truth with them. I knew that my words just paled in comparison to the scripture. And I didn't wanna just be saying, here's my opinion on this, but I wanted to actually say, this is what the Bible says. This is what you should do, or this is what we should do together. And that was my reason. That was my why, right? Very God audience focused. And I ended up partnering with one of my uh, roommates at the time, Remington, um, and we got up every morning at 7 a.m. that whole year to memorize verses together and review together. Now, I know that we were not doing that to be seen by others because no other college student wakes up at 7 a.m. There was no one else around, it was just us. And we had a great time. You know, we talked about why were we memorizing this? Was it because you're struggling or something? How can we pray for each other? Went through the verses. Um, it was a really good time. And and the outcome was totally different this time because those verses really got into my heart. Really deep down, like I started appreciating the scripture more. started seeing change. Some, some of them are actually still quite precious to me. I, by coincidence, or maybe not coincidence, Matthew 6 two through four was one of those verses when you give to a needy, you know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So you're giving me be done in secret. That was one I memorized during that time period. It really helped me. Um, And in addition to that, other people did start seeing us. I don't know how. There's A spy was sent over to our house or something. But other people noticed us doing this, and one of our roommates started memorizing verses. And after that, we started hearing that two other groups of people in, in the challenge ministry heard about Eric and Remington memorizing verses and decided to do that together, too, every morning. And now, if you think of the two stories, the behavior is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. It's a group of guys getting together to memorize verses in the morning. There's nothing different there on the outside, on the inside, the heart, for me at least, was totally different. I wanted to live a life pleasing to God and be part of what he was doing in the world and give him glory. And so for me, part of that was getting to know his word better and genuinely wanting to understand that better. And as a result, you know, the outcome was so different too. It changed my heart. Like these verses got into my life. I didn't forget them over summer. Like I, still, like I said, I still hold on to, to a lot of them. And, and we were able to be salt and light too. other people and point them to God, point them to the word. It's exactly what Jesus talks about in chapter five. It's that life. You know, I've experienced it. It is real. When I have chosen God as my audience, I've I've seen it uh, many times. So, you know, if if you're choosing people as your audience, if that is the why, walking with God, it's just not going to last. It's a whitewashed tomb. Outwardly, it looks great fool a lot of people probably get leadership positions all this kind of stuff but inside there's just no substance and over time the audience will fade and walking with God will fade as well I would even say in those areas probably not walking with God but the other way if your audience is God and you're looking to please him you're always gonna have an audience God is always there he always sees he knows our heart and he can change our heart in lasting ways eternal ways You could be salt and light to other people. So, you know, we can see this life that God describes in in Matthew chapter 5, this wonderful kingdom-centered life, but we need to choose our audience very, very wisely. So I encourage you, think through that. Go through the steps and and start addressing this in your life. Uh, I don't think you'll regret it. So let me pray. Um, God, you, you see into every single person's heart here. And you know where there are areas where we need to work on this. Um, I I pray that you would help us do that. We need your help for lasting change. We need your help. Um, I just ask for help. I don't know what else to say, God. I pray that you would just work on our lives. I pray that you'd help us identify these things, God. I pray that you would help us just cut through the truth. Thank you so much for Christ. Thank you so much that we can live this life at all, that you have shown us the truth, that we can understand it and walk in it by your power. So God, I pray that you'd help us to do that this week, next week, and and forevermore. Thank you so much for the wonderful rewards you have planned for us. And God, we, we know we don't deserve them, but we look to you and we give you glory. Thank you so much in your name. Amen.